Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast. I'm your host, AJ, and I'm so thankful to have Evangelist TJ Malkanji on the podcast with me today. Evangelist TJ, thank you for joining us. It's a great pleasure of mine. I have one question before we start. Yes. Is your last name actually Bible? It actually is. Praise yes. God. What a, <laughs> great, what a great last name. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, the story, the family story is, and we actually had someone research it, the family story is that long time ago, like 1700s in Germany, there was an orphan boy. This makes the story even better. There was an orphan boy named Adam, and he all he had to his possession was a Bible. And so he's out at, when he's like a teenager, he starts selling papers. He always carries this Bible. It's the only thing that he has of his own. People start calling him Bible boy. So he takes that as his last name, Adam Bible. No joke that they found the census and everything of, of them when they came to the Americas. He married a woman named Eva. So Adam and Eva had three sons, Philip, George, and Johannes. It's almost too good to, to believe. but Adam and Eve. Yeah, Adam and Eve. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good name. And, and could also, I, when I was in school, some people were like, oh, your dad picked that name because he's a preacher. Kind of like with Creflo Dollar. Like, oh, he teaches prosperity. That's why he was uh, he uses his last name Dollar. Sure. But but I've heard him say if he was going to pick a last name, he would have he would have said he was Creflo Million Dollar. <laughs> 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 but nonetheless, Evangelist TJ, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and uh, we appreciate your time and everyone on the Faith for My Generation family uh, that are listening. I know they'll appreciate what you have to offer today. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I've been following you a little bit on YouTube for about the past year or so, and so I'm aware of some of the things, but I'm sure there's some I, I don't know as well. So tell us about who you are, what you're doing now. And your testimony, how did you get where you are today? What 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 did you go through before you got to this place? Sure. Well, I grew up in a uh, Christian family. I grew up in a uh, church that was nominally Pentecostal, but uh, I, I, I don't know if I just didn't pay attention or just wasn't there, but I, there was nothing much that interested me growing, growing up in church. So the first chance I had to get out, I got out. I was about 12, 13 years old or whatever. And I lived a worldly lifestyle, developed something called obsessive compulsive disorder. The moment, it's almost like I was under an umbrella. And then the moment I came out uh, and stepped out of the, the shelter of the most high, this thing just invaded my life. And I never had any symptoms before it. I just remember when I was 12, 13, it just came on strong. And I had that up until I was 20. And I tried to, to uh, soothe the symptoms with alcohol and drugs and women and everything the world has to offer to plug those uh, that or to fill that void and it, nothing satisfied, nothing worked. And so I was putting water into a broken cistern hmm. until one day, um, you know, I grew up in church, so I knew Jesus could save, but I didn't know Jesus can heal. So one day I was having this crazy panic attack. I'd done a lot of hard drugs and stuff. I decided to stop doing drugs just to like, okay, I don't want to be a loser the rest of my life. I want to do something with my life. I didn't want to become a preacher or anything. I just want to like go back to school, maybe do accounting and or real estate uh, and so I stopped doing all the drugs and thinking it'd get better. It got a, a whole lot worse. And I remember having a panic attack in my bedroom, uh, feeling like I was about to cross over into eternity. And so I said, you know what, let's get right with God. 
just in case. And I kneeled on my bedroom floor right next to me. And I just said, Jesus, save me. Three words, very simple words. God doesn't care if you're eloquent. God doesn't care if you're articulate. He just wants you to be sincere. And so I just said, Jesus, save me. And it was like in that moment, I felt a blanket from heaven come on me. I felt the, literally felt the regeneration of the spirit happen. And I knew I had a new heart. And I knew that um, from that moment, I'd serve the Lord the rest of my life. And it wasn't until two months later that I discovered that Jesus also healed the sick. Uh, listening to our friend evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth, listening to a broadcast. I'd never met him in my life. It was one of the first. I actually never really liked him. He used to come to our church growing up, and I never really wanted to go when he was going because I knew he was going to preach on uh, the end times or Bible prophecy. And I stayed, I knew if the rapture happened, I wasn't going up. So <laughs> I, I stayed clear of it. But then when I got saved, I, I chewed up everything he, he's, uh, he produced and stuff. And I was listening to a, a, a podcast like many of you are doing right now. So I wasn't in a live service and I don't diminish the value of live services. They're extremely valuable, but yes. God can do something even from this podcast in your life today. And that's what happened to me. I was sitting in my living room. I heard that he bore my sickness and carried my pains and by his stripes, I was healed. And in that moment, like lightning from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, I got healed. And so from then I just knew I'm doing, I'm doing evangelism. I don't want to do anything. I dropped all my plans. I don't want to do anything else. Nothing in this world could have satisfied. Nothing. I don't care if they gave me the position of president of the earth. I don't care if they handed the keys over to Apple's headquarters and gave me a, a billion dollars to, to run their company. I would not do it. I just wanted to spend and, and, and use my life to bring glory to God worldwide. So that's what we've been doing since 2000. I got saved in 2012, full-time ministry 2016. And we've been traveling ever since. We went to Bible college for that time period before 2016. And it's been the best ministry. Anyone that tells you it's hard, uh, they're not doing it wrong. It's 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 fun. It's great. It's exciting. It's thrilling. And uh, I'll never I'll never stop. Praise God. What, what Bible school did you go to? I went to North Point Bible College. So that was formerly known as Zion Bible College or Zion Bible Institute. And uh, that that's in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And I know before we started recording, you mentioned about Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth that you're, I guess, under that, that association of Lost Lamb or connected with uh, Lost Lamb Ministries. Is he, if I'm not mistaken, I think when I uh, talked to Preston Shuttlesworth, uh, he mentioned that Evangelist Tiff is connected with North Point. Is that right? Yeah. So Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth is like the chancellor of North Point. He's the, the, um, the chairman of the board. Gotcha. So uh, he's he's all, he's very very connected in that school. It's uh, a school that means a lot to his heart. And um, and yes, we're sitting we're under Lost Lamb Association as a, an associate evangelist. So Tiff is like a mentor to me. Not like a mentor. Tiff is a mentor to me. He's been such a great uh, source of wisdom. Uh, the man is a, is full of integrity, full of wisdom. He's he's a golden standard when it comes to ministry. And so I, I don't see someone uh, better to learn from than someone like Evangelist Tiff. He's, he's a wonderful man of God. Yeah, absolutely. And they just crossed over a million souls for Christ recently. His Praise YouTube God. channel just exploded in the last two years. And uh, the, he had a video that went viral and it's like five or six million views now. And they're getting calls 24 hours a day of people getting saved all around all around the world. And he, he preached on like the five agendas of the Antichrist, something like yeah. that. Or can you accidentally take the mark of the beast? Whatever it was. People right. just in, in hordes, just getting saved. And so he was at like 500,000 before the pandemic. 
So just to give you an example or pandemic, whatever you want to call it, right. yeah. just to give you a, 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 um, a measurement as to how many souls have come in in the last two years in that ministry. It's, it's amazing what God is doing. God is accelerating the harvest in these last days. And Absolutely. Day to be alive. And I don't think you mentioned it. And you're in Montreal, Montreal, Quebec, yeah, Canada, Quebec. up north. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And so born and raised there. Yes, sir. Yeah. Born and awesome. raised in Montreal. And so, well, let's just go into that. You mentioned that with the, with the, all the everything, the nonsense that's happened over the past two years. We're, yeah. A lot of listeners here uh, are stateside uh, on the Faith for My Generation podcast, but we have some international listeners as well. So I know the experience is a little bit different, but man, I tell you what, t- tell us a little bit about obviously what Satan was trying to, to, to manipulate and monopolize fear and, and wickedness of people who, who are who lust for power, uh, simply put. And they're trying to make it sound like they're doing this for the health of people. But I, I, I watched some some precious people. I guess, is it Pastor Artur, I believe, is one of the gentlemen. Yep. Uh, yep. Pastors Phil Hutchins. Some different yep. people um, that are Canadian brothers and sisters that, that truly did. They, w- they spent some jail time and, and got heavily fined for, for keeping the churches open or just te- you know preaching the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Just, uh, you know, the U.S. border is about 50 minutes from where I met. And mm-hmm. just in 50 minutes, the, the uh, extreme contrast between a free nation and a nation that appeared free. But we've discovered Canada is not is not free like the United States is. There's a constitution in the U.S. that is still the supreme law of the land. We have a constitution, constitution ourselves, a charter of rights and freedoms, which has been extremely violated. Uh, because there's like an asterisk in it, which is never good. There's a loophole that the prime minister can at any time declare a state of emergency. And when that happens, he what he says, go. He literally enters into the role of a dictator at that point. Uh, parliament didn't meet for like 18 months. So there wasn't any voting going on as to what he was saying. So anything he said was law went into law. There was no votes. There was no democracy. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned Pastor Phil, who I was literally about before he went to jail that Sunday, he got arrested. I was supposed to go and preach from that Sunday and they shut down the New Brunswick border, the interprovincial border. So I couldn't get there. And it was that Sunday that he got arrested mm. and, uh, yeah, he got thrown in a can for seven days or something like that. And they just went to their, uh, court appeal yesterday and all the, I, I believe all the charges are dropped just to give you an account like a modern day Daniel, you know, who right. refused to bow, who, ref- who who said, throw me in the lion's den, no matter what, I'm not bowing to the pressure, the antichrist system of this world. Daniel gets out and what was, it wasn't just Daniel got free and he went, you know, he did something else the rest of his life. Daniel's God was declared to be the God of the land and anyone that spoke against the God of Daniel was put to death. It was like a total reversal. So Pastor Phil just put it on Facebook yesterday that not only are is he acquitted, but the fines and the lawyer fees and all the stuff that he's paid, the state has to repay them for it all. So Praise he's God. getting double for his trouble, as my friend AJ said before. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. And that's the thing. Like, uh, I've already heard several instances of that. How, you know, in, you read through in Genesis with the life of Joseph. Joseph says that by the Spirit of the Lord. What, what, you know what you guys he's talking to his brothers meant for sure. evil god turn it for good that's right but it's that simple 
the life of faith is seeing that though there may be trial or temptation or, or opposition because we're in a fight, a spiritual fight, but it's one that is already won. The victory is already sure. We see that any form of opposition that comes against us as a child of God, as a believer, is just an opportunity for the Lord to turn it to good and actually use... Uh, in that right. sense with Pastor Phil, the resources of, of, of Satan and turn it for good for the resources of, of Christian people. And so, you know, whoever's listening right now on the Faith for My Generation podcast, don't be afraid or fearful of opposition, of trials, uh, of testings. It's just an opportunity for God to show himself glorious and yeah. wonderful. Uh, whether it would be with this COVID thing the past two years. How did that, obviously you mentioned you were supposed to preach that Sunday. What changed logistically? I mean, how were you able to continue ministering during the past two years? Well, we traveled up until December of 2021. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had my baby, so we took December off just to, you know, to spend time with my, my second child. I have two children, Judah and Lana. So I spent... I just wanted to spend time with the family and then I was going to start up again in January. But in January, they shut the U.S. border down um, because the new president. Mm. Uh, Anyways, I'll keep my comments to a minimum on that. But he shut the border before in Trump. We were able to come in and stuff. But with Biden, he shut the land border down. And then our prime minister uh, cut off flights for unvaccinated uh, citizens. So if you were not vaccinated, you you were not allowed to get on a plane, a train, or a bus. Wow. For the duration up until Jan, uh, June twentieth, they're letting it. They're they're lifting it. So and I called private air private private air uh, airlines, private mm-hmm. charter jet companies. Uh, I called, you know, everything. Everyone I know that would kind of act as a loophole in all this, and none of them, none of them were allowing unvaccinated people fly. Uh, for fear of what what the government would do, because there was one plane actually that came in from Calgary to Montreal, one something like that, and they were unvaccinated, and they got on the private air, air aircraft, and it got discovered that they were all unvaccinated, and then they they got into a lot of trouble. So that put a fear in the rest of the airlines and uh, private charter companies to to just lift off the whole thing. So they. So in, I asked the Lord, what, you know, what are we going to do and stuff? And I, we started doing broadcasts in March of 2020 when that I felt strong in my spirit, get on. And, uh, since then the Lord has exploded our, our, our reach, uh, on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, And we've been able to reach honestly more people, uh, in my office, in my home than we have in our entire ministry years put together in the last two years. And so um, like I said, we traveled up until December last year. We were traveling. We did a, we did a, a, an open air crusade in Canada last wow. year where we had, uh, several hundred people come to Christ and 1400 people, 1500 people on the field over three nights Praise in, God. in like what was two weeks prior to that, a state of emergency, no meetings, limits on gatherings, masks everywhere. We believed God, uh, that we were going to be able to do it. We got a permit for a park to do it all and and the lord opened up doors for that so we we've been active we never stop the gospel doesn't stop uh and and nobody with a laminate badge can tell you otherwise (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely so you you mentioned you shared some of your testimony with us at what point did you receive like did you know it your call was to evangelize as opposed to maybe you know 
pastor, prophet, apostle, teacher, uh, whatever ministry it might be. Like, how did you know it was evangelism and evangelist? Yeah, well, I had this burning, which this should be in everybody because 2 Corinthians 5 uh, verses 18, 18 through 21 talks about how we have, as Christians, not the fivefold, just as Christians, we've received the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation, that we're ambassadors for Christ. God pleading through us, be reconciled to himself. And so that that everybody that's born again should carry a genuine burden to see their generation saved. If you don't have that, Charles Spurgeon used to say, I wonder whether you are saved. Mm. You should have a burning passion. Paul said, my heart's desire and my zeal is that Israel be saved. And he said, I would that I even be cursed, anathema. I would be cut off. I would be uh, uh, literally sent to hell if it meant my Jewish brethren being saved, which that's like a high level of love that I don't even think I'm, I don't, I, I can't say that for myself. I mean, he said, I'd rather go to hell that they be saved. And so that's just something that, that Christians should, should have for others. But there was this burning passion in my spirit to do crusades and to to get, not just win one here, win one there. I didn't want to be a lawnmower Christian. I wanted to be a combine harvester. Mm. And so I, f I, I was drawn towards ministries like Evangelist Jonathan's, Evangelist Tiff. I was drawn towards Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. I was drawn towards, and, you know, Dag Heward Mills mm. is an evangelist in Ghana, and he talks about in his book, how to make full proof of your ministry. He talks about how you should pay attention to your desires and who you're drawn to because sometimes they're key indicators as to what God's calling you to do. And I was drawn to it. I, 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 as I said before, I was going to, I was doing accounting before, uh, not accounting. I was studying to be an accountant. I was doing, uh, I was going to get into real estate. I was passionate about those things. And then when I got saved, it's like all of that, like Paul said, it was all rubbish. It was all garbage. It was like trash. Not that those things are wrong. God anoints people in those industries. It's just for me, I was just turned off to that. And I was turned on to seeing people saved in mass. So uh, that was like a key. I know some people, you know, Evangelist Jonathan had an angel visit him. Some people hear an audible voice. I just had a burning in my spirit. And I used to always ask God, Lord, why don't you just, you know, give me an audible voice. Tell me, give me the confirmation. And, you know, when I was more immature in my faith i just gotten saved i always wanted to have this like tangible thing this you know show me a burning bush or speak to me audibly or have a prophet come and tell me and all those things are great god did that through moses you know jesus showed up to paul but i realized later on more than any of that having that intense burden in your spirit and that responsibility that god puts in you this this um this spirit of intercession that he puts in your heart where where, where it literally weighs you down. Like Paul said, woe, if me, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. That constitutes a calling more than anything else, in my opinion. That, that's more precious than anything, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That, that inward witness and drive. Yeah. And I think that's what's... Uh... I think that's very necessary. A lot of young people listen to the podcast here, and I, and I continue to rehearse that, that, you know, you need to get direction and leading from the Holy Spirit from your for your life. You that's don't right. have to spend the first 10, 15 years out of high school just like fumbling around, stumbling around, what should I do with my life? You don't have to go discover yourself or find yourself. You can get before God, and He can give you direction and leading by the that's Spirit right. of God so that you can get it. A, a leading and a desire, whatever it may be, because whatever you're called to do, 
whether it's pulpit ministry, you might say, or, or any other ministry part of the body of Christ, whether it's mechanic or you're a dentist, you're an accountant, you, you sell real estate, you do it as unto the glory of the Lord, one. Two, you realize it's an opportunity for you to be in places. Lots of times pastors mm-hmm. or evangelists don't Can't get, get in front of people. And so it's so necessary to get that that direction and leadership. Sure. You know? Yeah, and God's not trying to withhold that direction. There's a lot of people that they have a very terrible perspective of God, that mm-hmm. he's some uh, megalomatic, like sadistic person that just loves to see people struggle and, and have a hard time in life, when in reality, he's like the Bible says, what, what, what great love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And just like my child, if he asked me for direction, I wouldn't say, hey, keep on guessing, kid. And like I would tell him in very plain and simple terms. Remember, Jesus said, no longer will I speak to you in metaphors or figurative language. I'm going to speak to you plainly. And Romans, I love how you said you have to find the leading of the Holy Ghost because in Romans 8, 14, it says, they who are the sons of God, these are led by the Spirit of God. Right. And in Proverbs, I believe it's chapter 27, it says that the, the Spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, mm. and he and he he uh, searches the innermost depths of his heart, meaning that it's your spirit now through redemption has been connected to the Holy Spirit, and God will God will actually guide you like a lighthouse through your spirit, and that's why yeah. I talked about paying attention attention to who you're drawn to, because sometimes God, the Holy Spirit draws you. You know, Jesus said, "No man can come to me unless the Father draws him." Well, God, first and foremost will draw you to Christ, but afterwards he'll draw you to men and women that will carry an impression on you and your life, that'll put an impression on you and your life that will uh, indelibly mark you and, and, and act and serve as direction in life. And so that, that's been my story for sure. Yeah, and that's a, that, just to add to that, a good thing to re- keep in mind, not all desires are the same. Like sometimes, sometimes Christian folk might think they hear the word desires and they think immediately it's bad or that I've got yeah. to crush it. But let's be honest, Satan's not going to give you a desire to go hold a mass crusade. No. <laughs> Satan's not going to give you a desire to go, uh, you, know, you know, sell a bunch of real estate so that you can fund uh, the work sure. of the gospel. Satan's not going to give you a desire to always be in the house of God to, to teach children. Uh, you can look and step back with some scriptural uh, sure. understanding and say, all right, this is a good thing. This is something I can see the Lord wants done in the earth, and I have a desire to do it. Yeah. So with, with that understanding, what what's necessary? You being an evangelist, what what's necessary to be an evangelist? I mean, some maybe some practical things, but also some spiritual disciplines or, or some things that you just have to make a line in the sand and say, this is how it's going to be, and I have to go from this place forward. Yeah, well, first and foremost, uh, I would think the most important thing that an evangelist has to do is do the Elisha, the Elisha, uh, how would you say it? The Elisha action, and that is to burn any ties to your past. I mean, if you're going to try and go out and persuade people to live on fire for God, you have to be on fire yourself, and you have to have uh, a clean cut from your past. Elisha, when he had the mantle of Elisha, thrown on him, the first thing he did was go and burn the oxen. He burnt any connection to what he w- he could fall back on. There was no falling back on anything. And I think this is where a lot of people start off well in evangelism, and then 
you know, there are challenges in evangelism, especially when you're starting out. Um, you know, it's not like you pass through a church where you can have a set it, like a, a steady tithe and offering coming in mm-hmm. at the first, you know, a lot. And this is the story for a lot of evangelists is financially there, there is a moment where you got to, you have to, um, you have to settle in your spirit. I'm not falling back on anything, even if it means temporary discomfort. And, you know, like I always tell people, I, 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 um, when we, when we first entered into the field of full-time evangelism, uh, I lived in a basement with my, in my parents' home for two full years. And we just kept on sowing financially. We kept on praying and fasting. We kept on, you know, doing everything the Bible tells us to do. And I had family members tell me, you know, this guy preaches on prosperity and he lives in his parents' basement, you know, like some, some prosperity message he carries or whatever. And then, you know, what ended up happening was, is God started to elevate us. You know, we kept sowing and kept sowing and kept sowing and the seeds started to sprout and grow how we don't know how God causes the increase. And uh, we started to see return on our harvest. You know, in all that time, we we never went without. But like I said, there's this, there was this temporary discomfort. Evangelist Jonathan, you know, you you listen to him. He talks about how he lived in a an apartment full of cockroaches and <laughs> and, uh, and 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 all kinds of other things. You know, his car was held together by Christian bumper stickers, and <laughs> and he parked in the back of the church because it was a disgrace to the blood of Jesus, and he didn't want people to like see his car. It's like. There might be, you know, despise not the day of small beginnings. I'll tell you, me and my wife had a great time in those days of small beginnings. And we're still in the day of small beginnings, but like we have a little less smaller beginnings now. We're starting to grow a bit. But in those days, like my wife and I had a great time. Like we were we were excited about it. We cut out all times. I had people say, why don't you go get a job? Go get a, you know, go to work at a bank. My parent, my family's all bankers. And and I just, I just felt a strong no in my spirit, not because I was lazy and trying to avoid work. I was working. I was working in the ministry stuff. We were doing everything that we could to get the gospel out at the time with whatever resources we had. But I had nothing to fall back on. And that, you know, the Bible says many are called, few are chosen. I think the few are chosen because the few have given up all. Very, very, little, very little percentage of Christians have given up anything to follow Jesus some have given up something, but very few have given up everything. And I think that that's what God looks at is, is, you know, what did Peter and the disciples turn to Jesus when he said, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they were like freaked out. A lot of disciples left him from that point onwards. And they, Jesus turned to Peter and he said, you're going to leave also. And he said, where can I go? You're the one that carries the words of eternal life. You know, I go back to my, my testimony being delivered of OCD and healed of that and, and totally set free. I walk here. I stand here today. No medication, no nothing. And I'm not God. blowing smoke. There's no OCD thoughts in my mind. I'm totally set free. It was I had that for eight years and God delivered me from it. Uh, what, what, where can I go? Mm. When I was at my lowest, God's the one whose hand came into that Maori clay and picked me up. When you know, all throughout the, the toughest times of my life, it was God that was there. So where, where can I go? What, what, where else can I turn? You know, there's, there's nowhere to go. And then when you come to Jesus, there's nowhere to go, but up. And that's what we've seen, you know, the path of the just shines brighter and brighter. So I think as an evangelist, you know, to give practical, a practical application of this question, it'd be like, you you have to cut out ties with people. Like I talk about the crab mentality all the time, whereas people you surround yourself with that, like crab legs, they keep drawing you back in to the mess that you, God keeps delivering you from. You can't keep that type of person around your life and expect to live a life on fire for God. 
And an evangelist is like a flame torch of the spirit. Hmm. You are set out to light fires everywhere you go. And if you yourself are not on fire and are zealous, zealous for the house of God and advancing the kingdom, uh, you're never going to be, a, you're never going to walk into that calling first and foremost. And if you do, you won't be, a, you won't be effective. You know, an evangelist has to carry an extra level of, 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 of zeal than the rest. I mean, Rodney, Pastor Rodney always talks about the evangelist being an, an alarm. You're an alarm. You're an alarm. You're sounding an he, a heavenly alarm, waking people up around the globe. Um, you're a fire starter, you know? And so alarms aren't quiet. Alarms aren't tame. Alarm, uh, alarms are like lions. Alarms are, are noisy. They make noise everywhere they go. They're clangy. They, they're, they're uh, like a, a bull in a china doll. And that, that, that's, that's, that, sorry if you hear my son. He's, like no, he's good. He's good. Yeah. Uh, thinking about that with counting the cost, um, you know, you got to be all in. Yeah. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. When you were you were speaking, it made me think of Luke nine sixty two. But Jesus said to them, "No one having put his hand to the plow yeah. and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God." And there's Elisha. He sees the man of God. He can see that he's going to be able to follow Elijah. Which there's already a school of prophets, right? When Elijah is taken up by the chariot of Israel, by that fiery chariot to be taken into heaven, the prophets come to him. And, and to Elisha say, you know, Elijah's going to be leaving. They even knew, but they didn't get to experience or receive the mantle that Elisha received from Elijah. And I think it largely is because he refused to leave Elijah's side. Yeah. He counted the cost. You know, I, I've heard it used, uh, and I don't think it's wrong to use it this way, but I've heard when Jesus mentions about only a fool would begin to build a tower and not count the cost yeah. because he'll he'll build the foundation and have no money left to to finish, finish it. And I've heard that used in biblical financial stewardship principles. And I think that's you should be able to plan. You should just planning in general. But I think really deeply what it's saying is is spiritual. Jesus is giving a fair warning here. If you're going to follow me, you need to count the cost. You need to count the cost that if you're going to follow me because it's going to cost everything. But yeah. I, there's a book, it's an older book by Miss Aretha Hagen, Kenneth Hagen's wife, uh, that's called The Price Is Not Greater Than the Grace Given. It, it's a long title, and I don't know if that's exactly right, but it's, it's something along the, the line, the price is not greater than the grace that is given. And I read sure. that book from her standing, you know, I've heard so much by Brother Kenneth Hagen, but when I read her book and some of the stories she shared that I never heard before, the main point was, there is a cost. It's complete. It's everything. You give mm -hmm. all that you are to Jesus, but what you get in return is so insurmountable. It's so amazing. That's right. it's, it's not even measurable how much better it is having counted that cost. That's and I right. Think just the life of the believer, you have to do that. You've got to be all in because you mentioned that. And I think that's true, especially maybe some of us that are in, in uh, Western nations, America, Canada, uh, it's very, it can be somewhat easy. Maybe not in the past few years, we've seen that there's a spirit of antichrist that wants to shut down coming together in church and worship. But it, for a long time, it's very been very easy just to kind of show up when you want to show up to church and be here and there. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but you have to discipline yourself to follow Christ. And so how much, how much have I given up? To follow Jesus. And I think some practical things like simply reading your Bible each day, 
is a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Getting before God in prayer. Well, I don't have time. Make time. Yeah, prayer is going to cost you something out of your day, but it's so it's so worth it's much more worth it than just mindlessly scrolling Instagram. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, give a cost of that of what it will. uh, You know, getting before the Lord, it's worth it. It's so worth it. Yeah, and you look at, you know, Peter and Andrew. Jesus said, "Follow me," and what did they do? They left their boats and their net and they followed Jesus. James and John. Jesus said, "Follow me." They left their father in the boat. They didn't even finish the day at work. They just said, hey, toodaloo. And, and they, they jetted and they didn't look back. And uh, that, was, that, was imp- that was essential to their success. Because, hmm. you know, it wasn't just the 12 that followed Jesus. There were many that followed Jesus. But how come the only, only 12 and actually only 11 endured? You know, when they were trying to replace Judas... Uh, the criteria for filling in that position of apostleship was having begun with Jesus from the beginning and mm-hmm. stuck with him through it in. Not the guy that kept coming in and out. You know, yeah, he was there every time we came to Capernaum, but he, mm-hmm. he never followed us outside of Capernaum. It was, it was an all-in mentality, and that's who they took. That's, you know, the Bible says, if you read 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 2, the qualification, qualifications of a bishop, of mm-hmm. an overseer, of a minister. The qualification of a leader in the body of Christ. And it talks about not being double-minded. You know, it talks about being faithful. It talks about uh, it talks about not being given to wine. You know, there's some people, let alone giving up everything, they can't even give up booze. Mm. They can't even give up that beer. Well, no, it's okay to have that beer. No, it's not. It's not. And any anybody in the ministry that God set apart that was used mightily, Samson, John the Baptist, um, they all were told one thing, he shall not touch strong drink or wine. And then when you talk, when you, you see the qualifications of a, of a minister in the new Testament, he talks about not being given to wine. So yeah, you have to, you, like you, like pa- pastor AJ said, you have to count the costs and, and you got to put your hand to the plow and not look in another direction. The gathering demoniac, he's sitting there clothed in his right mind. And he says, master, I'll follow you everywhere. He says, "Go into the city of Decapolis and preach what I've what I've done for you and how how much mercy I've shown you." But you see how he was like, "I don't even want to go. I don't even want to go and say bye to my relatives. I don't even want to go back into the to Decapolis. I don't have to. I'll follow you from here. I've got clothes. That's all. That's good. That's good enough for me, you know." And uh, you look, you study the stories of like guys like uh, Bishop David Oyedepo, how they started with 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 nothing, and uh, Enoch Adeboye. The guy is a brilliant mathematician. He could have done anything, but nothing satisfied his heart. It was it was all about evangelism. It was and he he gave up every Daguerre Mills was going to be a doctor. Yeah. A, a medical doctor. And he he just he threw it all out. He forsook all to follow Jesus. And uh and you have to understand this is huge actually. You a lot of people know the what of evangelism. What is evangelism? You're winning the loss at any cost. A lot of people some people know how to do it well and effectively. Uh, they've studied great, great men of God that have done it great. Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonnke and all that. But very few people that set out in the ministry actually get down to the why. Hmm. And if you don't know the why, whenever something challenges the what, whenever there's an obstacle, a hindrance, a lot, that's where a lot of people get knocked out. That's like the, the, the shallow ground that Jesus said the seed comes on 
and it, it bears fruit for a little while, but the moment there's heat or tribulation because of the word, it, it, it withers up from the root because it's very shallow. So you have to understand the why. You have to get to the why. And that's where we get back to what we said before. You have to hear the call. You have to hear the call. Because once you hear the voice of God thunder in your spirit, I've set the set the apart. I've sanctified you for this work. You know, Paul didn't open up his letters by saying, hi, I'm Paul. You know, I think I'm called. Uh, I believe, you know, I believe that Jesus is leading me to do this. I feel this in my spirit. He said, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, called by God the Father unto the brethren. You know, and then he opened up his letter. That's how you have to, you know, I, I see myself as TJ, an evangelist of the Lord Jesus Christ, called by God, sank. He says in Galatians 2, he says, I was set apart from my mother's womb. Hmm. You know, I was, I was sealed. I was branded. Jeremiah heard from the Lord before you were even formed. I knew you before you were born. I consecrated you. Consecrated means set apart. It means to, to be uh, lifted out of one place and put in a special place wherein there's a special work for you to do. And, and that's the mindset you have to carry. Mm. You have to carry that. Yeah, when you get, it's really just like a, a basic biblical principle. When you get a hold of a revelation of God's word, it has to, you have to allow it to change you, to renew your thinking. And, and what, you're, what you're mentioning with it, as far as the call, you, you receive, this is my mandate from God, and yeah. I can't detour from it. That's but, right. But it's as simple as that. When, whenever we see any command or instruction or promise of God's word, this is what God has said, and I'm not going to be moved off of it. I refuse mm -hmm. to be backed off from what God has said is true. And, and just to transition a little bit from, personal from your personal testimony and your ministry into some, some things for Christian believers, something that I've picked up from, from your teaching uh, of different teachings that I've watched, uh, lots of times you, you get back to the, uh, you might say, square one of this is who you are in Christ Jesus. And so tell us, why is it necessary for a Christian to understand who they are, the, the in him scriptures, the, the in whom scriptures, in Christ Jesus? Why does that make a difference in our life? Yeah, absolutely. Because self-image is important. Your self-perspective. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in himself, so is he. So it doesn't even matter what God thinks about you and it doesn't matter what the devil thinks about you. If you think, if you think that you're mediocre and you think that you're, you, you've not been, uh, that, that God in you is not sufficient or whatever. If you have improper thoughts and beliefs about yourself in Christ, I'm not talking about what the world talks, you know, the world talks about self-love and stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. garbage, you know, because we don't self-love. What we're doing is we're, we're acknowledging our new, the new creation reality. We're acknowledging what God has made us to be. Paul certainly was no foreign to this concept in that if you read his epistles, it's literally all about in Christ. It's all about our status in Christ. It talks about how once we were uncircumcised in the spirit and were declared uncircumcised in the flesh by the Jews. But now we who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And we are no longer strangers or foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God. You know, the, Paul stresses, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. So I'm not talking about self-love that, you know, you have to think good thoughts about yourself because, you know, believe in you, you know, be you. And all, that's all the world's twisted, perverted, satanic uh, wisdom on. And, and it's a twisted uh, version of, of what I'm saying right now. It's the way the devil uses it. 
for his crowd and stuff. But nonetheless, the, the, the truth of it remains in the scripture that as you think about yourself, that, that's what you're going to be. If you think you're some wretched, depraved schmuck mm-hmm. that has nothing good to offer this world and, you know, we're just to loathe and self-pity and self-condemnation and religion is, 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 is to have a sour face on your mouth and just feel bad about yourself, then, you know, even in science, the scientific community has discovered that the thoughts that you regularly think about yourself is going to shape who you become. So God's wired you for this. That's why Proverbs, a thousand years before Christ ever even steps on the earth, Solomon writes down way ahead of the scientific community, way before they had MRI scans and were able to see your brain and all that and all the uh, neurons being fired off. Way before all that, Solomon already penned by the Holy Ghost, as a man thinks in himself, so is he. So it's important. It's important to, to think right thoughts about yourself. It's important to believe. You know, that's what confession is. Mm. confession is to say the same thing. And so we're saying what God has said about us. We're not confessing we're the best because, you know, we're, we're, we're unique and, you know, be the best version of you. That's not what we're confessing. We're confessing we're more than conquerors by Christ Jesus. We're confessing I can do all things through Christ Jesus. One thing that I heard Brother Hagen say, and I recommend everyone do, is to take out a highlighter and read through the New Testament, especially the epistles. And I want you to re- highlight Every time it says in him, in in him, or by him, or through him, or by him, or whatever. And then I want you to underline every statement that either precedes that or proceeds that. So you go in and you see in him we have redemption by his blood and forgive. So you do in him, you highlight it, and then you you underline redemption by his blood. So what can you say about yourself? Now I can say, because I'm in Christ, Paul said it's no longer I who lives, Christ now lives in me. I can now say I'm redeemed by the blood. Amen. The Bible says we're more than conquerors through Christ. I can say I'm more than a conqueror by my, because I've been joined. You know, you have to have, there's a lot of Christians that they, they, call themselves citizens of heaven and all that, but they haven't gotten, they haven't crossed over this revelation. And this is the revelation we have to all cross over. It's the revelation that the old you, even though your body is still here, even though you, you know, you still have the same name on your driver's license and all that, the old you, the old sinner, you, the old, uh, fall short of the glory of God, you, that old condemned you has been crucified with Christ. Mm. And the life you now live in the flesh is Christ in you. 2 Corinthians 6 says, we've been joined to the Lord and we've become one spirit with him. So stop saying things about yourself that you wouldn't say about Jesus Mm. because it's wrong. You're not Jesus, but Christ liveth in you through the mystery of faith. And the Bible says we've become one spirit with him. Jesus said in John 17, as I, Father, am one with you. May they be one in us. Mm-hmm. So when you go out and say, I'm stupid, I'm slow, you're, irrit- you're grieving the Holy Spirit who's been made to dwell in you. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Act accordingly, speak accordingly, and think accordingly. And walk with that, that mindset. You know, the Bible says to be carnally minded is death. To have a carnal thought process in your mind, is it produces death. It produces, and everything else death brings, sickness, disease, depression, anxiety, everything else that is a product of death. But to be spiritually minded, what's to be spiritually minded? To think the thoughts of God for yourself. That's what it is to be spiritually minded. And the Bible says when you think that way, it produces life 
It produces peace. It produces joy by the Holy Ghost. Most people are not the victim of a devil. Mm-hmm. Most people are the victim of a, 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 a garbage mental processing system that they, you know, when I had OCD for eight years, my thought patterns were all screwed up. Even after I got saved and healed, I still had to take authority in the region of my mind and conform it. You know, Paul said in Romans 12, we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, to the thought patterns of this world. We're not to think the way the world thinks, right. but we're to be transformed by the renewing of the uh, of our minds through the word of God. So that, that's what it means to put on the mind of Christ. That's what it means to put on the mind of Christ. And when that happens, uh, you'll find out that 99% of problems just go away for free. The things that you were saying, oh, the devil's doing this, the devil. No, it's, it was actually all up in here. And once the Holy Spirit renews you, it's like the chains come off. Jesus said, you will know the truth, not just the truth of, about God, the truth about who you are in Christ. And it will set you free from all kinds of stuff. And so the reason why I'm so passionate about it, I always, I I talk about seven things the Bible says about you or seven confessions Mm -hmm. every Christian must make daily, or I'll talk about your new creation realities. And I I, I emphasize that is because we're Christians. The very word Christian means little Christ. You're a little Christ. The reason why they call them Christians is because they saw these people that were going around and acting like Christ, talking like Christ, thinking like Christ and doing what Christ was doing when he was on the earth. And they said, these are little Christians. These, these are little Christ. These are Christians. So they connected them to have been, been with Christ. And so it irks me when I see people who, who, who are to be called, who are little Christ, like Christ in them, who have literally the greater one indwelling in them, mm. going around not understanding any of that and living far below the place God wants them to be at. That, that, that irks me. Yeah, absolutely. And that that you have to get to that point of I'm no longer identifying in the dead old me who has right. been crucified and buried. Romans 5 and 6 is a great place to start with that. Yes. It's like I've been buried. That's why we get water baptized. It is an outward display of what has spiritually happened, that right. I have died and been buried with Christ, and I've been made alive in Him. And I think that's something... Everyone has to do it, not just hear it once, not just confess it once, but it, let it be the confession and, and talk of your day and your That's life right. that the Spirit of God is indwelling in me, not a lesser, not the wish.com version of it, not, <laughs> not the generic brand. It is the Holy Ghost, the self-same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead indwells in me and makes me alive in Him. As a Christian, I'm only alive because of the life of Christ, not my life and a, a little bit of Jesus mixed into it. I am alive spiritually because the life of Christ, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in me. And I, I couldn't find it, but I believe it's in First John where it says that even as He is, so are we in That's right. this world. And, and going back to what you said earlier in this episode, that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We now have what Christ came to do by himself. He has multiplied himself and multiplied millions upon That's millions right. of people to bring people back to Christ, to yeah. redeem men who have fallen into sin and bring them back to where they were prior to sin. And as a Christian, you can't you can't have that sinner saved by grace mentality, you know, and because the sinner's dead. That's right. And that's a huge, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a huge hindrance to evangelism. Mm. We talk about hindrances to evangelism and stuff and, 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 uh, 
and the devil tries to get in the way of it. But really what is more powerful than the devil trying to get, because the devil can't do anything. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He, he can't do anything to stop you from preaching the gospel. He can do everything he can with city park permits and all that, but it doesn't work. We're going to get the gospel out. But what stops people from preaching the gospel, and I'm talking about on a full-time basis or just at school or at work or at your barbershop, wherever you're at, is the mentality that because they keep these mediocre thoughts about themselves and I'm not much, you know, I'm not much. When you think that, then you don't feel like you have much to offer anybody anyways. Mm -hmm. If you think you, you're not much, there's nothing, you know, nothing good that dwells in me. I don't know. I'm just a wretched person. You're not going to have a zeal and excitement to actually share that with other people. Look at Peter and John. They get to the gate called beautiful. A man's paralyzed there. And what do they say? Such as we do have, we give unto you in mm -hmm. the name of Jesus Christ. Get up. They, they didn't say, you know, such as he, I'm nothing, he's everything. They said, such as you, we have. We have the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. You don't have to stay down. You can walk today. And because they understood, I'm more than a conqueror. I have power and authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and disease. When you start this, Teal Osborne, before he did his crusades, one of the things he said that would generate boldness in him if he went out and he saw a crowd that looked a little more... Uh, uh, Muslim than anything, and it was kind of threatening to him, he would get up and he would tell himself, he would say this to himself, he'd say, I have what the people want, and the people want what I have. John G. Lake, a great evangelist, the apostle to Africa, he, he started, I don't know how many churches in South Africa alone, but he would look at himself in the mirror every morning, and he'd say, God is in that suit. He's not saying he's God. He's saying that by virtue of redemption, I'm connected to Christ. I'm Colossians 2 says we are complete in him. And because of that, Jesus lives in that suit. Where this man goes, Jesus goes. My hand, you know, T.L. Osborne, you saw always say, God cannot reach the people that you don't reach for. He cannot touch the people you don't touch. He cannot heal the people you don't lay hands on. So if you feel like you're just some empty thing, you're, it's going to hinder you in your evangelistic fervor and your results as a result. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest hindrances to evangelism. For sure. Yeah, it's really Satan. What he has to work with is deception, fear, unbelief, doubt. It's a war of knowledge. It's an information war. Yeah. And that's why 2 Corinthians 10 tells us we have to cast down every that's argument right. or that's imagination good. that comes against the knowledge of God. And part of that knowledge of God is who we've been redeemed, who yeah. we are now in Christ Jesus. And, and actually, I was just listening earlier today, one of your teachings, you made a statement. And I wrote it down here. I'll read it. It says, the anointing doesn't give you the ability to cope with the devil. The anointing was given to destroy the work of the devil. And, and there has to be, you have to come to that place that the anointing, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, Isaiah 10, 27, the anointing breaks the yoke. That that yoke brain breaking power dwells yeah. in me, not so That's I right. can just kind of like cope or get by or, you know, one day we'll make it in the sweet by and by, but I've been made more than a conqueror in Christ. That's right. Yeah. And, and as you quoted before, as he is, so are we in this world. We don't have a different mission from Jesus. We have the same mission he had. He said, as the father has sent me, so send I you. And the son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. So as God sent Jesus to destroy the work of the devil, Jesus has thoroughly, adequately, more than enough equipped you for the same service of the ministry to not keep people in prayer or to refer them, you know, 
We're not a referral center. We're not a referral center. We're, we're a solution center. We carry what the world needs. And, and, you know, that's going back to your original question. How, why is it so important to have that, uh, in Christ's mindset drilled into the people it's because if you if you don't have this set that greater is and look at John you, you've overcome this world you don't have any fear you don't need mm. you don't have any need of fear for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world how does the devil operate through fear mm-hmm. fear is a magnet for trouble faith is a magnet for blessing and so if the devil can pull you away from that truth and being aware of that reality that the greater one lives in you, then he gets you in the arena of fear. And in that arena, he's going to whip you every day of the week. But if you'll keep him in the arena of faith and declare what the Bible says about you, you'll whip him every single day of the week, uh, including Sundays and Mondays. <laughs> and going with that, that saying, just going along with that thought that even as he is, so are we in this world that, we're more than conquerors. We're overcomers in Christ Jesus, that the victory is won and it's sure. To me, that makes me think of the miracle. We're talking about the anointing, the miracle working power of God. Tell tell me, why do you think miracles are important and they are for today? We, The faith for my generation family, we do not believe that miracles are, are gone or they're in yesteryears or it's something that was just needed to establish the church in the book of Acts and now we don't need it anymore. Why is it one scriptural miracles, but two, why ne- why is it necessary? Why are miracles? Well, I would necessary? say three, three, three reasons God does a miracle. There's three main reasons throughout the scriptures why God does a miracle, and these three things happen every time God does a miracle. Hold on, Judah, close the door, please. <laughs> My little boy just walked in. Um, number one, God does miracles because. It brings glory to his name. You know, the Bible says he went into the synagogue when the woman was bent over double and he made her straight. And in making her straight, the Bible says they were all astonished. And they, they, they said, what wonderful things God has done in our midst. Another time in the script, in the Gospels, Jesus does a miracle. What was the reaction? God, uh, we have seen strange things today. And the Bible says that fear came upon them all. You know, you look in the book of Acts. When, when Peter and John healed that man at the gate called Beautiful, the multitudes rushed in together and 2,000 souls were added to the church that day. So it, it, it brings glory to God. It opens up the eyes of the people towards the reality of God, his existence, and his goodness. You, you see in 1 Kings 18, Elijah calls fire down from heaven. What happens? The whole nation repents from Baal worship and turns to God. So it brings glory to God. It, that's the number one reason God does a miracle is to exalt his name, obviously. But equally to number one, I'll, I don't even want to give them a one, two, three, because I think they're all just in one nutshell. It's an expression of his love for mankind. Hmm. When God does a miracle, it's not just because he wants to brag on how, good, how big he is and all that. It's because he loves people. He hates, to pe- he hates to see people suffer. He hates, to, like when he saw that woman bent over double, he said, ought not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, these seven, 18 years, should she not be loose today? You know, the religious crowd didn't care for people. That's why the miracle ministry of Jesus was an irritant to them because 
they, he was doing things always on the Sabbath and it was breaking the religious system and all that. And the crowds were, you know, Pilate even, the Bible says of Pilate, he knew the Jews were handing Jesus over because of envy. They envied him because they didn't have that. They couldn't supply that. To, and they didn't have it because they didn't love people. They, if they wanted to have a miracle happen, it was just to draw attention to themselves. And that's why they didn't have it. When God does a miracle, yes, it draws attention to himself, but it's also an expression. It's an overflow of his compassion uh, for mankind. The Bible says he looked to the multitudes. He saw them as sheep without shepherd. He was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. So he didn't heal the, you know, people that don't believe in divine healing the way we do. They'll say, you know, God, you know, if he, if he sees it fit to bring him glory, he'll heal you. First of all, I don't see any place in scripture where someone got healed and it didn't bring God glory. A two, I don't see anywhere in scripture where Jesus went around and he said, listen, leper, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do it because I, I have, I've actually been following you since you've been a little boy and you irritate me, quite frankly. But I'm going to do it because I need to prove to these people that I'm the Christ. He doesn't do that. He didn't. He wasn't just going around trying to prove himself. He, The woman with the issue of blood, he wasn't trying to prove anything. He was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Mm. And she tapped into that healing power by faith. And in that, she received a miracle. She came trembling before him because that's what people have this mindset about who God is, that he's like some sadistic guy in the heavens, ready with a lightning bolt, ready to zap you. And don't you dare get in his way. She was trembling because she had touched God and God healed her. And then Jesus said, hey, why are you afraid? Daughter, thy faith has made thee well. Go and behold. He was a happy man. Jesus was a happy man. I think people need to understand that. When he did miracles, it was he was happy to do it. It wasn't, people weren't having to pull teeth to try and get him, twist his arm. Oh, please, just, would you please just, it was simple. The centurion said, just say the word and my son, will, my, my servant will be healed. He, he said, well, I've, I've not found, it wasn't like, oh, that's that name it, claim it, gab it, grab it stuff, huh? You got to stay, you've been listening to Hagen, you got to stay away from that. No, he said, Wow. If you study the original Greek, it was like, wow. It was like a gasp of fresh air, like a, 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 a breath of fresh air for him. It was a gasp of relief. He was like, oh, finally. I've not seen such great faith, not even in Israel. Mark 9, they bring a boy to the disciples to cast a demon out. The disciples can't do it. They had power and authority to do it. They couldn't do it uh, because of their lack of faith, the Bible says, and their lack of fasting and prayer. But they brought the boy to Jesus and the boy goes, uh, the father goes, Lord, if you can, mm. please do something. If I can. He said, all things are possible to him that believes. And then even, even in that instant where he said, help my unbelief, he recognized there was unbelief. Even in that, God says, I love this child so much. And he still delivered the boy from a demon. You know, like, so it, it's an expression of, of God's love. His miracles were an expression of his love towards humanity. And uh, number three reason God did miracles and still continues to do miracles throughout, uh, throughout the earth is because he has a violent hatred for the work of Satan. And Amen. a miracle is literally the work of God that undoes the work of Satan. Mm. That's what a miracle is. It's a, the work of God, a supernatural working of God that undoes the supernatural working of the devil. Because the devil is a supernatural being. And yep. uh, when a miracle happens, it's just the unraveling of that. It's the demolishing of the destruction of it. It's the removal of satanic burdens that's been placed on men. Uh, the, the, a, a miracle is the alleviation of what the curse brought on humankind.
That's what we see in the life of Jesus, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. That's right. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And and you mentioned it, the church, Christians, the the normal Christian, uh, I'll borrow that phrase from Watchman Nee, the normal Christian is Mm. not a referral center. It's not, oh, I'll I'll send you to a counselor or a physician or, or to a bank. Again, those are just natural resources and things, some good, some not. Uh, the, the Christian is the power supply, the place where the presence and the anointing of God resides to solve those problems. It is, and, and that's what's so necessary, I feel, for a Christian to get a hold of that the God we serve is the God of miracles. And those yeah. three points, those are so good because God does love you. God yeah. wants the best for you. And it's not some like twisted religious, well, we can only know that God does yeah. his best. And and yeah. obviously that means for me to be busted, broke, busted, and disgusted and hurting my body for all the years of my life. And somehow it will bring glory to God. You know, they add several zero, yeah. several O's in God when they say that. But it's like that that's not yeah. That's not that's not the love of the Father which bestows his desires and the sonship on us when yeah. he sets us free from everything that sin and the curse of sin brought into the earth. The yeah. way I think about it with with miracle the miracle power of God, it's to get you back to if you will that garden of Eden. If Adam yeah. and Eve weren't suffering it before the fall of, of man, then it's not meant for you in, now that you've been redeemed. That's right. I love what Romans 8 says. It says if uh, Romans 8, no, Romans 5, sorry. It says, if while we were enemies, mm. he reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, now much more being reconciled will he, will he do all things. You know, if while we were, think of it, when you were not saved, you weren't God's pal. The Bible right. says we were at enmity against God. We were enemies of God. The scripture says God can't look on sin. The Bible says that the prayers of the wicked, he knows from afar. He, mm-hmm. it, it, God c- cannot dwell. He is light in him. There's no darkness at all. And we were in darkness. If while we were in that state, if while we were still in sin, God demonstrated his love towards us and that he sent his only son to die, be brutally murdered on a cross in the most uh, horrible form of execution, probably since the dawn of time. Mm. If while we were enemies, God was good enough and loving enough to perform the miracle of salvation for you. Paul says in Romans 5, now having been reconciled, now that you're his son, won't he do everything else you need? Right. You know, God, this is something that has to get in people. And I feel like when I preach on miracles, this is what? hits people the hardest because people have been taught by the religious system that miracles are the product of God for the express, uh, the express um, purpose of bringing him glory. And that's it. That's it. Mm. That's it. That's the only reason why God does things. It's just so that he can have applause. And, and, and you know what, like I said, they're on the same playing field. They're on the same level, but equally, equally as important it is to God, to, to bring glory to him, to his name and all that is the manifestation of his love towards mankind is, is, is the pouring out of his love and his love manifests in meeting the needs of the people. Look at, you want to know how God's love manifests? Look at how Jesus walked the earth in his day through the gospels, study the life of Jesus. That's the manifestation of God. 
He, Jesus manifested his power in whatever need the people had uh, had need of. Whatever, whatever it was that they needed, that was that's what triggered the manifestation of his power. They were in a wilderness, 5,000 people to feed, not including children and women. He, he supplies all their needs. That was a manifest, you know, actually going back to referral center, his, the disciples originally wanted to send the people away so they can go and buy food for themselves somewhere. What did Jesus say? Send them away. You give them something to eat. You know, I, I'm not going to be outdone by the local bakery. I've got, I'm the bread of heaven. I've got, I, I multiplied the manna in the wilderness in those days. I can do it again now. And so he, he supplied their need. The, the love of God and the manifestation of his miracle ministry, uh, is, is for the purpose of meeting the needs of suffering humanity, you know, and, and, and that needs to be drilled in people. Yeah. You have to come awake to that, to, to the, to the love of God, the true love of God, not, not a religious idea of what sound they say is love, but doesn't really sound loving. What, what is the true love of God, which is every good and perfect gift that he has desired for you. It comes from him, the father of lights and there's no variableness. He doesn't change. It's not like one day today, he's nice guy tomorrow. He's not, it's like, he's faithful. He is good. He's perfect. He's unchanging. And because he doesn't change Malachi three, six, we're not consumed because I change not you sons of Jacob. I'm still here because God's good and faithful. And so, so as we kind of come to a close on this episode, tell me, so it's, Pretty much the same question, but the first one is to the world, to the center. What is the most important thing? What do you feel the world, the center, the person dead in sin, what do they need more than ever right now? A messenger. Hmm. Hmm. A messenger. Romans 10 says, how can they hear unless, or how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless there be a preacher? And how can there be a preacher unless someone is sent? So lost, dying, crying, sign humanity. They're in a pit. Uh, that that is like sinking sand. And the only thing that's going to get them out is the message of the cross. And the only way they can get that is not through our prayers, is yeah. through labors. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. So don't blame the harvest on oh, this, this generation's hard of hearing. Don't ever blame the harvest. Don't ever, I'll, I'll never let those things come out of my mouth. Never. I never right. blame. I don't talk about how hard the ground is here. I know the power of the seed. And the gospel seed can produce no matter the ground. And so my job is to sow the seed. And uh, Jesus said, the harvest is not the problem. The problem I'm facing, Jesus faced two problems in his ministry, two, two challenges in his ministry. One, it was religious crabs that tried to keep people from accessing the kingdom of God. He said, you Pharisees, you've withheld the kingdom, the key of knowledge from people that are trying to get in and you yourselves don't enter in and you've withheld it from others. And then the second problem he faced is a lack of workers. He, he, he lacked workers. He worked with the 12. He worked with the 120 afterwards, but lack of uh, preachers and laborers. That's why he said, pray that the Lord of harvest, the Holy Spirit would send out, dispatch more laborers into the harvest field. That's why I love the ministry of Pastor Ronnie Howard Brown. He mobilizes people. He activates people. And um, that's been a prayer of mine. An evangelist is to do two things. One, win the loss, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And then two is to mobilize people for the work of evangelism. And so that, that's, that's my prayer for Canada. That's my prayer for the United States. That's my prayer for, for anywhere. I think that's, that's what the world needs more than ever. The, the sinner that's wallowing and, and sinking in this miry clay needs one thing, and it's a messenger 
The Bible says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the very first thing that God's anointing will do in a person is, is after he's, he's lifted up the heavy burdens and destroyed the yoke is he's going to put a desire in you to preach the gospel to the poor. Yeah. And um, it's in doing that. Ezekiel 3 says, if I tell you to go and warn the wicked and you don't go, they'll die in their sin. So that's the number one need is a messenger. That's why the Bible says, as good news from a far country, so is it's like uh, cold, cold water to a weary soul. And you have that good news in your mouth, but it's no good in your mouth. It has to be, you got to open up your mouth wide. And God said, I'll fill it. I'll confirm my word. I'll heal the sick when you pray for them. These signs will follow them that believe. Yeah. And that's the first, that's one of the first things that we see in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit will give you power to be witnesses. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the first demarcations of, of the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Ghost is he's going to empower you. And that's, I noticed that. In Acts 4, that's something that kind of it rocked my world about a year and a half ago, this idea of scriptural boldness. And I've done some teaching on that on the a podcast channel. But the disciples in the book of Acts, they don't pray, Lord, give us more faith. You don't pray yeah. for faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. You sure. know, Lord, give us this or that. They say, give us boldness right. to proclaim your word. You see, they're th just, just embolden us even more to, to bring that message. That's right. So, so what do you feel is the the number one thing the church needs right now. So we've talked about the world, now the church. I would say focus. Hmm. I think that there a lot of churches are just everywhere. They're hmm. trying to be friends with everyone. They're trying to do and uh they're trying to use a lot of churches I follow on Instagram. I I don't even follow them. I just see them pop up in my feed and it's like their advertisements, their marketing. You could tell what kind of church they are. You know, hmm. it's it's very um, seeker, what do you call it? Seeker, seeker friendly, sensitive. Seeker sensitive yeah. and stuff like that. And, you know, I am seeker sensitive in the sense that I'm sensitive to who's seeking. <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, I never try to eliminate the offense of the gospel. And uh, I think that the church in Western, I can't speak for everywhere else, but for the Western world needs to be realigned, come back with divine alignment on the, the mission of the church. That we're not called to, you know, a successful church. A lot of times they teach in some Bible colleges, you know, successful churches, you know, how well linked you are with your local government. That's not a successful church. If that's a successful church, then the early church was unsuccessful uh -huh. because they were not linked up very well with their local government. Paul was chased out of nearly every, every town he preached in and established churches. And so it's not about establishing low. And I think that in the last two years, we've seen this great line drawn in the sand and we've seen the real from the fake. A lot of churches that never really they were just led by hirelings you know mm. jesus talks about the the true shepherd and then the hireling right talks about the one who's genuinely called by god that even when the wolf comes he stands strong and then it talks about the hireling the career minister the one that was just in it because you know daddy did it granddaddy did it or you know keeps the bills paid keeps the lights on whatever they do it for the wrong motives i think those people have been sifted out the bible mm. says um that that God's eyes are like fire and they sift out the wheat and the tear. So I think that, that that's what happened in the last two years. It served its purpose. And a lot of ministers um, that, that were like tares amongst the wheat have been sifted out. So that's great. But I think now we've got to get, I think now, you know, the iron is hot and we yeah. have to strike. People 
are still recovering from the last two years. They're at an all-time fear, all-time fear of death, all-time, you know, Evan Roberts in one of, in the biography on the Welsh revival, it talks about the three precursors of every major revival, the Great Awakenings, Welsh revival, the Azusa Street revival, all three, uh, um, the three precursors for every major revival was one, there was an extreme fear of death in the people. And we saw that. We saw that. You have people wearing masks in a car alone. Like it doesn't make right. any sense. <laughs> Two, there was a, uh, uh, an incredible amount of government um, corruption that was exposed. This happened before the Welsh revival. And if you read his wow. book, he documents it, which we've seen that in the last couple of years. Government corruption exposed on an all-time high, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop and all that. Yeah. Like you're just seeing that the major powers of the world are in bed with each other worldwide. There's a global system and it's like the curtains being drawn back and you're starting to see what's been going on. And then three, three. So one was uh, uh, fear of death. Fear of death. Two is government corruption exposed. And three is an all-time low church attendance. Hmm. Nobody was going to church. In the Welsh Revival, church, church was the least attended place on Sunday night. They had, they had bars in the streets of southern Wales where there was um, one penny to get drunk. And it was packed. And the church was the, the you know, had, had no people going to it on Sunday night. When the Welsh Revival hit, all those bars closed down. Everything closed down. The church was like booming. looked like a nightclub. <laughs> it was yeah. like everybody was flocking to the church. And the Bible says in Isaiah 60 that in the last days darkness will cover the earth gross darkness the peoples but my light will be shining on you and arise and shine for your light has come in isaiah 2 2 verse 1 through 4 it says in the last days the mountain of the lord which represents the church in prophecy will mm -hmm. be exalted because we've all come to mount zion hebrews 12 will be exalted above all the mountains of the earth and they will flock to it and many will uh, the bible says let us go and hear the word of the lord from their mouths and that's prophesying of an incoming revival that's going to hit. And I believe everything we're seeing now, which the devil's trying to use as a setback for the church, is actually going to set up the church for the greatest move of God the earth has ever seen. I really believe that. I see Samson as a type of the church. He started off well. He did great exploits, but he compromised. He lost the anointing. But in his last moments, he prayed one more time, Lord, give me strength one more time uh, to have don't let me go out like this pretty much. And remember, right. Jesus is not coming back for a broken, blind, bruised church. He's coming back for a glorious bride without spawn, without wrinkle. And Samson prayed, give me one last victory, pulled the pillars down. And in his death, he killed more Philistines than his entire life. I believe that that's what we're going to see an accelerated harvest where in the exodus, the rapturing up of the church, we're going to see more people saved in the moments to come before Jesus comes back, then in the, in the entire history of the church combined. Praise God. I really believe that. And uh, so we're living in great times. We're born for such a time as this. So going back to your question, we need to focus our mm -hmm. efforts, get back to the nitty gritty, get back to doing what the mission of the church is. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Go ye therefore, preach the gospel in my name, baptize them and quit fishing in bathtubs. Go to the ocean. <laughs> Like yeah. you don't get a fisherman that fishes in a bathtub, you know, he's, he's out in a lake, he's out in a river, he's out in the ocean. He's not in a bathtub. There's a lot of evangelism. It's like, bring them to church. No evangelism is get out yeah. highways and byways, not synagogue and chapel highways and byways and preach that word compel 
is anakazo, which literally means to burn with fiery passion, to, to, do, to go to great lengths to inspire. So that, that, that's coming back in the church. Revival's here. God's doing something great in both of our nations, and I'm excited to be a part of it, and I know you are too. Amen. Pastor Dag has a book with that Greek word, Anakazo, yeah. to turn the head with force. Yeah. It's not. It's not like just a, a very quaint thing to to yeah. proclaim the gospel of Christ. And I, I, man, what you say with focus with the church, you know, the primary focus of the church is to win the lost to make disciples. It is to take part in Christ building His church on the earth. Everything else is secondary. But you right. can see the secondary stuff again: passing out bottles of water, uh, clothing that, uh, and we do all those things. things like, we do those things, but if you elevate that above so that you can win alliances with like government entities, which by yeah. the way, the past two years with COVID and tyrannical overreach, that showed you that the people you were trying, not you and I or the people listening to this podcast, but people in many Christians, sure. they compromise the primary focus to preach and teach the gospel to so they could do secondary stuff to win alliances with people who didn't like them to begin with anyway. That's right. Never. And the spirit of Antichrist, which has always been the book of First John tells us, it's, it's in the earth even now. And so that was, what, uh, 2,000 years ago. And the spirit of Antichrist is still here, the spirit of error, and that, that lust to control people, that which will eventually well up into one man in the days of tribulation. That spirit is here. And so there's so many people that they're trying to manipulate and shut down the only real true force that is unstoppable, which the is church. the church of the Lord That's Jesus right. Christ. That's right. And you know, that going back to uh, one of the questions you asked earlier, I forget what it was, but we talked about how, um, uh, you know, as, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Jesus had that mission. Like he said, for this cause was I born, for this purpose have I come into the world. You know, he was very laser beam focused on what he was to do. He said, I've come, uh, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his purpose, his work. And it's like Christians have been so sidetracked in Western culture a lot, a lot that they've become advocates for abortion or advocates for uh, against abortion, obviously, Ad advocates against uh, racism, advocates. It's like there's all these um, branches on a tree that they're trying to snip off and, and trim and, and groom when we're ignoring the very root of all these problems and it's sin. Right. And if you'll just deal with the sin problem, the abortion problem is going to go away. Right. You can't tell a woman who's intent in uh, intent on having an abortion. You can't, there's not much you can say to get, to dissuade her. But you get the gospel in her heart, you won't have to say anything else. The, the Holy Ghost will convict her and change her heart. It's not adding, if, if, even if they, and I'm all for Roe versus Wade being repealed, and I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for that, 100%. But even when that happens, women are still going to get abortions. Mm. They're going to go to California because there's states. It's going to be dependent upon the state legislator. So they're going to go to California. They're going to go to New York. They're going to get their abortion. Tesla is already going to be paying for their uh, Apple, Tesla, all these major companies are going to be paying for their travel for every employee of their company. So it's not about just getting laws changed. Those are good. It's a step forward, but it's illegal to murder and people still get killed every day. It's illegal right. to drunk drive, to drink drunk. 
uh, to drive drunk. To drive, I feel like I'm a little. <laughs> it's a little drunk drive. No, it's illegal to drive drunk, but people still do it, and families are destroyed because of it. Right through the loss of relatives and loved ones. So you know, take all the guns away. This literally bar every gun. They'll use a rock, they'll use a chair, they'll use a car, they'll use a knife, they'll use their bare hands. What are you going to do? Chop everyone's hands off and just have us look like, you know, little pieces of flesh on a, on a chair? Like, it, it, you, can't, you can't try and trim the branches. You got to get to the root. Mm. And, and the root is sin. Jesus said, for from within the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murder, fornication, adulteries, envy, and all the other evil things. And it's only the gospel, Ezekiel 36, 26, where God takes out the heart of stone and he puts a new heart of flesh in you, wherein you're willing to walk in the ways of God. And then it's one thing to be willing. I think this is where a lot of Christians stop is they're willing. I, I want to serve God. I want to serve God. But you got to get baptized in the Holy Ghost because then he said, I'll put my spirit on you and you'll be able. Not only willing, but able. It's one thing to be willing. It's another thing to be able. And when you're able, then it's, it's fun. Christianity is not burdensome. It's, it's a fun blessing. It's an adventure with God. That's right. That's well, right. We're, com we're coming up on the end, Evangelist TJ. So we got a few quick speed round questions, if you're good for it. Shoot them. Love it. All right, here we go. Uh, I ask this question to everyone that I've, I've interviewed. So do you prefer paper or digital for Bible? Paper. Reading? Yeah. Tell for us Bible, why. paper, 100%. And there, there's just something about holding it, right? Yeah, yeah. I got myself. We have our own like Salvation Now Bible. Oh, beautiful. I got out, and I, I love a nice leather Bible. I love... I love highlighting in my Bible. I love writing in my Bible. Bible, 100%. Paper. What, ver what version do you normally go to? I use the New King James Version. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'll refer to the um, New Living Translation sometimes, or I might preach a few things out of it just because it's very easy to mm -hmm. read through. But New King James is my baby. That's awesome. I grew up on King James, and a lot of the things I've memorized has some of that phrasing. And yeah. I guess just with now today, uh, because not many people read and, you know, understandability, I've, I've went hard into the New King James and I really enjoy it. I think it's a, yeah. I think it's and, a good middle ground. Yeah. And Dake, j they released a New King James version. So I, I have yep. that, Yep, which is great. Great study tool. If you're reading or if you're going to, if you're going to get information from a book, you're going to read it or audible, like listen to it. Depends on what kind of book. So if I'm reading like a spiritual book, like a book by Dagheard Mills or T.L. Osborne or um, Reinhard Bonnke or whatever, I, I want to I want to read it on paper. Or I'll read it on my iPad, my Kindle or whatever. But if I'm listening to a self-development book like James Clear, Atomic Habits, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, I like those books too. They're pretty good. Uh, there's another one, The One Thing. But I think it's... Uh, I forget his name, but if I'm reading something like that, then I, I'll, I'll listen to it audible for sure. Yeah. Favorite pastime. Is, is, is there something you're going to do with the family with something you enjoy? I remember hearing you on a broadcast saying that uh, you bought a guitar. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you, I think you started, I don't know, a gift was given to you and you said you spent some money on buying a guitar. So you play guitar. Oh yeah. I play guitar. Um, but pastime, I usually like, I'll play like, PlayStation 5 or something. Okay. I, I play you. like NHL, NHL or FIFA. And then uh, when I get bored with that, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll hang out with my kids or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, so that's going to be, well, FIFA is soccer, right? Yeah. Soccer and hockey. Two, two obviously nominal sports that we don't even recognize that much here in the States. Not in South Carolina, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hockey's everything here. 
Well, I was going to say soccer is pretty much like the international sport of of yeah. the globe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And those those are two sports I grew up playing. So that's yeah. awesome. All right, last question: If you could sit down and talk with anyone, and I had to put this in there. Uh, thanks to Preston, evangelist Preston Shuttlesworth, because he said the obvious answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you have to, if you could sit down and talk to anyone apart from our Lord and Savior, living or dead, who would it be? Who are you going to sit down and talk to? It would probably be living or dead. Um, I'll say dead and living. Okay. So someone dead, it'd be John Osteen. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I think I, I'd like to sit down with John Osteen. I love John Osteen. He's, I listen to him more than I listen to anybody. He's just got such a great spirit. And uh, I don't know. I feel like we'd get along. I mean, outside of Bible characters, you know, like, it'd be right. cool to talk to Paul and stuff. But uh, living, I think it'd be Dag Heard Mills. Mm. Dag Heard Mills is, uh, he's, uh, he's a special man. The guy's so yeah. bright. What he's doing for the Lord and the, the amount of churches. I mean, he does a Healing Jesus campaign every month with like 100,000 people coming out for his yeah, crusade. it's amazing. And uh, he's so wise. I mean, you, you you know his books, right? He's got like, I don't know how many books he's got right now. But Hundreds. you can buy the whole collection and it's like a massive box. And it's on everything. Like the guy literally has covered everything that I find interesting. Mm-hmm. So, and I think he'd have good advice. I know he'd have good advice, like, you know, at the stage of life we're in and stuff. What, he has what, a good what, sense of humor, too. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> from from the things I've seen on, on YouTube. When, Jesse when he, DePlantis when he, would be someone, too, I'd like to hang out with. Because he's funny. Yeah, he is. He's very funny. And it's interesting with his testimony. Like, well, he, I've heard him say before that, he he just he doesn't try to be funny. It just comes off that way. Like he would actually get upset with himself in the early days of his ministry because he wanted to be serious sure. and everyone laughing. And then he realized like that's a gift that that the Lord gave him that opened up a lot of doors to a lot of people that normally wouldn't have heard that message of faith. Yeah. And they did. They liked it because he was funny. Who who would you who would you say for yourself? Oh man. See, I always ask that question. I, I don't know. Let's see. All right. If I'm going to sit down with someone, since you did two, I'll do two because that makes it a little bit easier. Now I have to pick just one. If I'm going to yeah. speak to someone that is dead, it's going to be Andrew Murray. Are you familiar familiar with him by chance? Andrew, Mur- Andrew Murray? Andrew Murray. He the was, name sounds familiar. He was actually a Dutch Reformed minister in South Africa. He he goes into the ministry. He He doesn't, he has a very well, Dutch Reformed, he has a very traditional religious understanding. It's, it's like middle 1800s is, is when he's mm-hmm. alive. And so then he gets all, he gets sick. He loses his voice. It's from cancer in his voice. He goes to the healing homes in Stockholm. And that's where he gets this revelation of the gospel of healing, that God heals. And so he's there. He gets supernaturally healed. He then begins to immerse himself mm-hmm. in healing. And then along with that prayer and so much other scriptural doctrines, that he um, becomes a he's a pastor and an author, and the reason he becomes an author is because where he was in South Africa, every just about everyone's making a living through agriculture. So during harvest season, many of the people it was hard for them to get to church. So he would take his sermons, write them into a book. Many of them would be split up into thirty-one parts or two or three pages per day. So basically, a month-long devotion. 
and he and he began to mass produce these in the late 1800s. Wow! And, and he authored, he authored 60, 60, 70, 70 books. books. Powerful man of God. I mean, I just yeah, received so much, so much about, about Andrew biblical Murray, huh? prayer. Yeah. yeah. And I and he, I think from what I've heard, Mario Murillo did a little bit of research on Andrew Murray. He mentioned that over five million people came to Christ during his ministry, and this is right pre five million. That's incredible. Yeah, pre TV, pre TikTok, pre YouTube. I mean, this is horse and buggy, rural South Africa. It was there. There's actually I'll, I'll have to send it to you. There's a documentary of it that I found pretty interesting uh, on YouTube uh, that a ministry did. But that 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 would be who I would sit down if it was someone that was dead living. I think I think it's going to be a toss-up between Pastor Dag or, or Bishop David Oyedepo. Yeah, he I, was he was in there. Yeah, I, I have I have both of them. I've listened to a lot of them. Uh, listened to a lot by both of them, but I think I may be listening leaning to Pastor Dag just because as a pastor and he he this idea of church growth, like not not the westernized commercialized how to get people in the doors let's give away a, a pickup truck on father's day to get people in but like this idea of the militant scriptural reason for growing yeah. your church so that you are a force in your city for christ mm -hmm. so that governments and legislations they they'll go from thinking the church is nothing to like you know we could pass this law but there's 10,000 people in the yeah. church you know, in our out. city of 50,000 people that wouldn't like it. We, you know, it's that book of Acts, fear of the Lord. Take over. Yeah. Take over. Take, so that, take over until I come. That's what Jesus said. So that's really renewed my mind in that area. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And then when I come, I'll take them back. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's all it is. Well, Pastor, T or excuse me, Evangelist TJ, as we finish up, can you pray for the Faith for My Generation family? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Um, and like we spoke of before, you know, we've connected here and there through other people's ministry and broadcasts and stuff. So I've seen your name and I've seen, so I'm, I'm glad you reached out and glad to connect and uh, praying for you guys in South Carolina. Well, yeah, let me pray for the viewers. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. First and foremost, I thank you for this wonderful ministry. Thank you, Father, for the reach that it will have. Thank you for explosive growth. Thank you for supernatural wisdom and innovative ideas that you're going to drop into Pastor AJ's heart that will allow him to take this to the next level in Jesus' name that would produce insane fruit global impact like john Osteen, a local church having global impact and then a global globally impacted people financing his local vision father i pray for that to happen in jesus name i pray for everyone that's watching and listening to this on the podcast i pray that there'd be an evangelistic zeal and fervor that would be imparted through this through this podcast teaching lord those that perhaps are unsure whether they're called or not, Lord, that you would confirm callings through this preaching, through this teaching. Father, those that know the call and, and have the call and they've putting it off and they are acting as a Jonah and maybe trying to avoid it and thinking that God will perhaps forget it. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, put a grace in their spirit to obey you in this thing, Father, knowing that as they step out of the boat, they won't drown, 
but that you'll sustain them and you'll grow them. I pray, Father, that there would be a, a realignment of evangelistic uh, fervor in the minds of those watching. Lord, that even those that don't feel called to ministry, maybe those that own businesses, air conditioning businesses, or landscaping, or maybe our teachers or governors, Father, that you would, you would put in their heart a burden for this generation to act as ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, God pleading through them to be re reconciled to heaven. Father, I pray that you would raise up an army through this through this wonderful ministry, an army of Holy Ghost soul winners whose hands are registered weapons to obliterate sickness everywhere they go, whose mouths are registered weapons with heaven, that as they preach, Father, every foul thing would scatter off and that many would be saved to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Amen. Evangelist TJ, let everyone know how they can best connect with you. Sure. Yeah. If you want to connect with us, uh, our Instagram is TJ Malkanji, TJ Malkanji, uh, however you'd like to spell it. Hopefully it'll <laughs> pop up. But you can do on Instagram, TikTok. We have uh, our YouTube channel, TJ Malkanji, that you can subscribe to. We do regular broadcasts every Tuesday and Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern time, live broadcasts. And then we we uh, will always uh, put out extra videos outside of those. And then also, if you'd like to visit our website and get in touch with uh, our events calendar and, and come to a live meeting, you can do so, salvationnow.ca, salvationnow.ca. And uh, all our events are listed there. And uh, hopefully I'll come to a city near you. We're going to be coming to the U.S. because the restrictions lifted June 20th. So uh, they will be lifting June 20th. So we're going to be coming to the U.S. in July. I'll be in Orlando for a little bit, then I'm going to North Carolina, and then uh, wherever else the Lord would lead us. But uh, we're looking forward to that. Well, that's awesome. Again, thank you so much, Evangelist TJ, and we appreciate it. And remember, we are the faithful. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. And every Thursday, I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.